Check this out. The seeds that you planted many years ago may not break through the ground or start growing for a lot longer than you anticipated when you planted them, said my friend Matt Del Negro. Matt is an A-list Hollywood actor from uh, West Wing, Sopranos, Goliath, Scandal, and also the host of the 10,000 Knows top-rated podcast and recently launched his book of the same name, 10,000 Knows, How to Overcome Rejection on Your Way to Yes. Uh, Matt is a fantastic guy. In fact, I was on his podcast as well, uh, which you should go back and uh, listen to that episode. But more importantly, Matt tells you the story uh, of how it all started. How it all started when he was when he first became an actor and on his way to being what he is and building what he has today with 10,000 no's and more. This is a must-listen-to episode, and you will love the warmth, the compassion, and the story of how anybody can make it and how you can too with Matt Del Negro. And it starts right now. One thing is for certain, just because it's tried and true doesn't mean it's working right now. So the big question is this, where can you learn what is working right now? The strategies, the tactics, the psychology, and the exact how-to how to grow your business, how to blow up your personal brand and supercharge your personal growth. That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. My name is Sharon Srivatsa, and welcome to Business School. So Matt, uh, before I tell you anything about, everyone's going to congratulate you about launching this book. But I know that this is a, people don't realize the book is one thing and I'm, I'm working on mine right now, but you don't realize the labor of love that happened pre-book, the, the, the hundreds of podcast episodes that created the, the entire body of work that allowed you to assimilate and, and put this together. So before we even dive into the book, I want to I wanna take, uh, take what you and I love back to the one thing, the origin stories, the, the stuff that you can remember. And I want, to, I want you to talk about uh, what you've shared with me once, the Wizard of Oz stuff. The Wizard of Oz play, elementary school. Um, I know you remember that very well, and you write about it in the book too. Uh, is, was that first time for you when you were forced to, to, to do something? I'd love for you to tell that story. Um, well, the Wizard of Oz thing, um, that's funny. I wouldn't expect you to ask about that. That was, you know, so that was like sixth grade. And we, I think we were like required. I, I don't know if we were required to audition or what it was. I certainly wasn't thinking about acting at that point, like for a long, long, long time after that. But for some reason, I wanted to be the cowardly lion. And, and, the new there was a new girl to town, Vicky Bakshi, and I was like in love with her, and she wanted to be the cowardly lion too. Now I thought I was going to be the cowardly lion. She got up and auditioned, and she was like awesome. She was the cowardly lion, you know. So I got like the consolation prize. I was you know like Uncle Henry, and I had like one <laughs> line. And my line was like, Auntie M, we got to fix the incubator. I think that's literally, that was it. That was my illustrious acting debut. Um, so yeah, no, there's, there's, there's actually really, in some ways, there's not even much of a story. That is the stories that there's not much of a story. Like I was a kid that grew up like, I don't even think I thought of actors as humans, you know, like I, it wasn't like I was thinking about it. I was playing sports. I was in school. Um, I, I remember getting Raiders of the Lost Ark with my first, you know, we got a VCR for Christmas one year and Raiders of the Lost Ark was the, the thing that came with it or that we got with it. And, and I probably saw that 25, 30 times. I could, I could literally, you know, quote the entire movie at one point. Yeah. Um, I could still tell you now, you know, the, the, the Avitos are coming. Uh, if they were coming, you, they would. If, if Bellick was here, they would have killed us already. <laughs> you know, it's like, dude. That's so, I never told you this that you mentioned it. Uh, so, we the people who remember the free uh, uh, tape that came with the VCR. 
my free tape that came with the VCR was Pulp Fiction, right? And I memorized, like, we watched that over and over and over. And uh, I know this is a total sidebar, but I remember, uh, so I, I had Ezekiel 2517 memorized because Samuel L. Jackson will deliver that. And I was visiting my dad and my dad's like, what are you watching? And I'm like, dad, this is Pulp Fiction. This is Ezekiel 2517. He goes, you're quoting scripture. And I'm like, not just scripture, King James, the path of the righteous man is beset on all sides by the inequities of the selfish and the tyranny of evil men. Blessed is he whom the name of charity and goodwill shepherds the weak through the valley of darkness. Like I have this completely memorized, dude. Yeah. It's insane. And so it's weird when an Indian guy is like, is, is, is reciting, you know, King James version of Ezekiel 25, 17. But, but this takes me to, um, so, so yes, that was the first time you were on stage is the first time you auditioned, but when did you realize that being an actor could like be for you? Um, the first traces of me, it, it, yeah, the first traces really of this being a thing um, were, it, it was when I was in college, um, I played lacrosse at Boston College. And so I, I always wanted to go abroad um, to study, but most people did that the spring of junior year. And I always thought there were some upperclassmen that went to Australia and they, I had visions of like beaches and, you know, Australia. And I was like, that sounds cool. Um, nothing to do with academics. I'm just thinking beaches and beautiful weather. Um, and, and then I realized, well, I can't go spring of junior year because that's when the lacrosse season is. So instead I went between sophomore and junior year to Italy, which I'm hundred percent Italian. So I went there. Uh, I was going out with a girl also from BC. Um, and she was, ended up going to Italy to study in Florence. I was in this town, Perugia. So we were like two hours away from each other. Long story short, my sister gave me a, a journal before I went and I look, I still have that journal. I look back and the first couple of entries were like, like those obligatory, like, you know, today I went to the piazza kind of thing. You know, it was like really empty. We're over there. I go to meet up with the girl and one thing leads to another, basically we break up. She breaks up with me. I kind of get honest about some of our differences and she's like, that's who I am, bah, done. And it's funny because I wouldn't say it was her per se, it was more where I was in my life that I kind of felt like it just spun me to the point where I had this journal and the journal became my lifeline. And I had a bunch of stuff that I had pushed down, pushed down, pushed down for years. And I had kind of created this, in a way I had created a persona at Boston College as playing lacrosse, you know, it was division one lacrosse back then. It's not anymore because of uh, title nine, but it was, and it was a, there was a whole thing. And, and, and I had a nickname and a, the whole, it was a whole thing, you know? And what, I, what was your nickname? Delhi. Everybody called me Delhi. And, um, and I, you, you know, it, like it was one of these things, it's really like what the podcast is about. It's like from the outside, it looked like everything was going my way. And, and it was in a lot of ways, but there was something internal that was off that I didn't really know about. Um, and then it, it all bubbled up. And so in that first journal, it was just pouring out a bunch of things with my, my just lots of feelings coming out. And in that journal are the first traces of me saying, maybe I would be a writer, maybe I could be an actor, but I didn't really want to hear that. It wasn't like I was psyched about it. I was trying to stuff this back down because I was like, right. what the fuck is that? I don't like an actor, a writer, like what? Yeah. It, it just came out, it grabbed me by the throat. It came out, it would not be, you know, would not be muzzled. So so let's, let's, um, let's talk about this for one second. So a lot of people, um, men, especially for some reason, uh, I, I've talked to several of my, you know, nine figure CEOs that I mentor and they're like, ah, Sean, I can't journal. And I'm like, that's cool. Uh, I always say, Hey, fear has no place on paper, right? You literally get it out of your head and it's, it's hard. It has no place on paper, but they're like, well, the two, the two things that people, uh, entrepreneurs tell me, and I'd love your feedback on this is I don't want to journal because of one of these two things. Number one, 
I think someone's going to read what I write. So there's that, you know, that feeling, which is cool. And I appreciate that. The second is, well, how do I write it? Do I write it? Do I reference it? Is it like a, is it a dear diary? Do I, is it a notes to myself? Is it like I'm sharing it with a friend? So when you wrote and when you put your thoughts down, um, how did you like just walk just walk me through like mechanics of did you did you were you writing to somebody or you're writing to yourself how did you how did you kind of build bring that out of you well if you look back and i could you know, i'll show it to you and if, you know next time i see you i'll find it it's somewhere in a closet i have like a stack of these journals and i have that one and if you look at it I, I think the first entry is probably really neatly written, you know, like I went to the piazza period, blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, I think the first line of that journal that was authentic was something like uh, angry, sad, frustrated, upset like all Ferraras holding it, you know, it was my mom's maiden name, you know, like uh, trying to brush it under the rug. And it's, it was something, it was just like, there was no, um, there was no artistry, but that was the artistry. Cause if yeah. you look at it, it was just pure truth coming out. I don't know who I was writing. I don't know if I was writing to myself, to God, to, I don't know. I think I was just tr literally trying to work it out. It was coming out. And some of it's like, <laughs> it looks like chicken scratch. Like I just, I literally stopped going to class as I was in this Italian um, school. And I've always been like, you know, do think, you know, be a good student, do your thing, cross your T's, dot your I's. I didn't go to class. I went to this, I found this church. There was a lawn and I went there and like, nine hours a day I was pouring. I mean, I filled that journal. I got another one. I filled that journal. I, I just, it was like, when I tell you I wasn't in control, it was like, it was like writing itself. And, yeah. and in a, you know, kind of an interesting parallel. I don't know if I thought about it till just now. The book was a little bit that way. It was different because it was, it was on keyboard, but the book was, like people are like, God, you wrote a book so quickly. Cause I did. The book was like the matrix, you know, when Neo goes in and he locks in and they, they, they give him martial arts. He's like, <laughs> he's doing that. That's what the book was like. It, it was like, it was like, I, all I had to do was sit in front of this, this keyboard right here, this Mac that I'm on with you right now and just, and it would just go. Awesome. It, it wasn't, it wasn't, for a guy that has a, a podcast called 10,000 Knows, who wrote a book called 10,000 Knows, a lot of things have been a struggle for me. They've been slow. This book, man, couldn't have been more opposite. From the day that it was, came the way it came about and then writing it, I have author friends that are like, wait, what? It was like, it was like freaking Thanksgiving. And I talked to an author friend at a party in our town and I go, she's, she's written books and, and I go, um, yeah, I gave myself a self-imposed deadline with the publishers for January 1st because I'm going to go shoot my show. I want to be done before the show because I want it to come out when the show comes out, which didn't happen because of COVID, but that's another story. <laughs> and she goes, wait, January 1st of, of this coming January 1st? And I was like, yeah. She's like, that's like uh, a month away. I go, well, yeah, I literally, it, it, it was downloaded into me. Yeah. yeah. There was a lot of, you know, there was a, there was an editing process. So I don't want people to hear this and think like, Oh, what's this piece of crap? It like just came out like that. But, but it was because I had kind of written it before I wrote it. Yeah. I think that, that dude, that is the, that is the answer. If, if there's any takeaway, it is that it is the, you wrote it before you wrote it. You, uh, and, and, I also believe that the reason we're talking about the journaling, the reason we're talking about Wizard of Oz, the reason we're talking about your time in Italy is because all those experiences prepare you for who you are if, and I think if, we actually memorialize them, if we do that. And so there are so many experiences that happen in our lives that the things that did not get memorialized through that journaling process or through your podcast process or through the writing process, it, they were all just in between time. But the ones that got memorialized as artifacts, like I would tell you, uh, 
uh, you and I are very good friends. Like I spent time getting ready to speak with you today. And I believe that in the last 24 hours of me just like putting my notes together, figuring out where this is going to go, knowing that this is going to go a completely different direction. I feel like I know you better and deeper because I did that work. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And same with you. Remember when we did our podcast, you were like, dude, look at these three pages of questions. I'm like, Matt, are you serious? Like, this is insane. And oh, I yeah. think yeah, that artifact, and I think that's what I wanted people to really get is that when, dude, when I think of you, you are the epitome of work ethic. Like you, if if some if someone asked me, when you think work ethic, what do you think? I'm like, I think Matt Del Negro. Like literally that is the first thing that comes to mind for me. Right. I, I got to tell you, I... First of all, thank you. I'd like to think that people think of my work ethic probably early on, but to hear that from you, I'm, I literally, I told you before we started rolling, like I get tired thinking of all the stuff that you do. You do so much more than the average human. So for you to say that, I'm like, wow, thank you. That's incredible. Uh, and, 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 and so, so, so take us back. To, so I want to, I want to like that. I want to talk about that first, that first acting gig. I want to talk about like when you, before the nose started happening, I want like, when was that first time when you got that first yes and you started to believe that, wait, this could actually be for real? Well, so, so here's the timeline. I had that thing in Italy. It was like a, it was like my voice came out. I had what I call my quarter life crisis, but I was totally alone. I mean, dude, when I say, you know, people that are younger won't understand this back then, in 1992, um, when you were in Italy, you had a phone card. It was this little, this oh, yeah. physical thing that you put into the payphone, and it would count down your time. Yeah. So you didn't really call back home and you would write people back home, but you were on your own. And I was so out of my element. It was a crazy experience. And I came back on fire and I, I, I it was like, I was a new person. And I immediately came back and shriveled it back up. And I went back to all the things that I was doing anyway. I played fall ball lacrosse, which I had questioned while I was there. I went back, I, I kind of went back to Boston College. I, I, I shrunk. Um, I went through fall ball. It was the end of fall ball. We were running around, um, jogging around Sheffield. And I had this thought like, man, I don't really feel like being here. I wish I'd just roll my ankle. And it was like a, it was like a dime drop. And I was like, this is crazy. I, I had, I had, I was a walk on, so I wasn't under scholarship. And I just thought, this is crazy. No one's putting a gun to your head. And, and so I went to coach and I said, um, I think I'm done. And he said, think about it. I said, I have thought about it. And he said, well, if you reconsider, you still have a slot on the team in the spring. I said, thank you. I had about a weekend where I thought, oh my God, what have I done? Because the identity that's wrapped yeah. up in all of that, you're a varsity athlete, you're this or that, whatever it is, that's what was tripping me up. But I also knew on some level, I, I had broken out of this, um, this, this mold that I had put myself in. So me and my roommate, who had never acted, we both said, we're going to go out for a play. So we both auditioned for a play. He got one of the leads in this play. I did not get it. I did not get anything. About a month later or two months later, I auditioned for this other play at BC, but it's not even in a theater. It's in like a lecture hall. It's like a, it's like a rinky dink production, but these people that were in it were awesome. Like I, it was, it was a one act play. I actually got the lead. I was this guy. It was called Hello Out There by William Staroyan. And I played this guy who wakes up in a Texas jail cell and he's been accused of rape, falsely accused. And I had to say hello out there, but like, like literally like a hundred times. I mean, it was like, it was like, hello out there. Hello out there. It was like, you know, but, but we, we did this and I was fully into it. And I kind of, internally knew I was good. I think I knew I had something 
And my dad says he, my parents came up and they, and they saw it. And he says, you know, he's like, I got to tell you, I drove up there thinking like, he's like, the lights went down. He's like, I'm thinking my son is going to be in this play. Like, what if he really, like, I mean, he could embarrass himself. This is like, (laughs) you know, he was nervous for me. And he said, I saw you and I it, it was excellent. And, and, and there was, it didn't even matter what he thought. I felt like I, I found something that I was like, this is what I literally was like, I'm going to be an actor. I told everybody. And I went to a keg party a couple months later and I'm, I'm literally at the keg filling my beer. And this girl comes up to me who I kind of knew, but she was like, in another, it wasn't like, it wasn't someone I was close to. And she goes, Matt Del Negro. I go, yeah. She goes, I got to tell you, I've been doing theater my whole life. And I was writing for the school paper and they assigned me to go do this play review. And I sat in the audience and I looked through the playbill and I saw Matt Del Negro. And she's like, Matt Del Negro, he's a lacrosse player. He's not an actor. And she's like, I didn't want to like you. And she goes, look, you could use some training. You could use some technique, but you were really honest up there. She's like, you could do this. And, and it really, like, it gives me goosebumps now. Yeah. It gives because, me goosebumps, dude. Because she didn't have to say it. And I actually didn't need her to say it, but maybe on some level I did. It was this external validation that was like, I always remember that. I, it was like, huh. And I always think that I think that now, like, why do these things happen? I don't think they're coincidences anymore. I just feel like they're like signs in the universe. If you're open and you're like looking and you're, you're aware of them, you get these little things that happen that are like, yeah, you're what you're doing that like might be construed as crazy. It's not quite as crazy as you think it is. Like you have some, there's a reason you thought this, you know, you know, you're so spot on. There's, there's so many lessons in just that because the first thing that comes to mind for me, you know, it just as a, as a sidebar is for, if you're listening right now, uh, it's amazing that you didn't know this girl when you were pumping that keg, you had no idea who she was. But when she came and said that to you, like you talked about the external validation. I, I think we as a species need to do more of that. Um, I always tell my, my family and my kids, I'm like, hey, when you see something great, say something great. Right. It's just it's crazy that we see a beautiful play and we don't say anything. We see an amazing video and we don't make a comment. We see like I made it a point now where if I see a, like a, there's a great email that someone wrote and I got I reply and I'm like, hey, that was a really great email. And you see someone in their element. You're like, man, I love seeing you in your element. And I think a lot of times people are they don't know they're they're following their dreams. They're trying to find the flow. And even a third party that you don't even know in this reporter gave you, I, I think she, she shaped, she shaped your confidence that day, which was amazing. Yeah, yeah. She was, I mean, I did just to be clear, I did know her, but I knew her peripherally and we didn't, we knew maybe we were in class together. We didn't know each other, but I, I knew who she was. She knew who I was, but she was like, Whoa, this is way out of context. Right. And, and then validated it even going in with, yeah, with a chip on her shoulder about it. She right. did. Yeah. yeah, I I agree with you. I I've always I, I actually think that's kind of the cornerstone of my podcast and of the book is I'm basically going like, hey, you person that I don't know, you are teetering on the edge right now. You've either been you 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 put yourself out on the ledge, you 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 stretched yourself, you got you know knocked down, you're grasping for straws, you're gasping for air, literally wondering, is this the right decision? Like, should I go forward? Is this too crazy? And I'm going, hey, I don't know you. I don't know if this is what's right for you. I don't know, whatever it is. It doesn't have to be acting, whatever it is. I don't know you, only you decide that. But I will tell you, I have been in dire, dire straits and somehow I got through it. And not only that, I have sat down now with all of these people, yourself being one of them, but in different fields, you know, pro athletes, people in my industry, entrepreneurs, and all of them to a person, all of them have been just, you know, devastated by life or by their profession, but they kept going. Like you're, you're not alone. That's my whole thing is like, you're not alone. Like you, and that's what she did that day. Really. If you think about it, 
she was like, you're not alone to be dreaming of this thing that you stepped out of the box and tried. Like, you go for it. You yeah. Know? It, so so when, let's talk about this you're not alone thing because I think that um, especially in today's world where there seems to be this a plethora of access, plethora of opportunity, with the plethora of opportunity comes a plethora of rejection as well, right? And I... My question for you is, do you, can you actually remember those times when you auditioned for a gig or you read script or you did a bunch of these things and you didn't get it and you got told, hey, this is not the right fit. We're going to pass on this one. And you were the receiving end of that conversation. I, I, one, do you remember things like that? Because it, it, it makes you who you are. And, and I'm, I, you know, and, but two, what happens? Like, like walk me through, like someone said, no, like what happens to Matt as he processes that? Um, first of all, I'm laughing. Do I remember that? Yeah. <laughs> it's like every freaking day. Um, do I remember that? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I don't think people fully realize how much I'm told no. I, I, mean, I told you, I just interviewed, literally just interviewed Lorraine Bracco. I mean, she was, you know, nominated for Academy Award. She was, you know, Dr. Melfi on The Sopranos. And she's just telling me about like bawling, crying after losing out to a role to Melanie Griffith. Like it doesn't matter where you are. Yes, you feel it. You get told no and you continue to get told no. And, you know, I guess for me, the, the worst part of it, <laughs> Let me just try to boil this down. The, the, the worst part of it is if you really want something, if you want to roll, what happens, um, you can, it's hard to help this from happening. You want the role and you want to just focus on the work. But intrinsic in this audition and this opportunity is, well, if you get that work, like for me, where right now I'm in Brooklyn, I've been here, you know, I've been here for however many months, you know, intrinsic in getting that role, your whole life will logistically shift where you are, what you're paid, who you're working with, all of that. So it's hard in visualizing getting that role, not to visualize how that changes your life. So yeah. you go down a whole path of what could be. And it's, you know, that's helpful to getting the role because you're, you're visualizing it. When you're told no, or they're not going in that direction, that all gets pulled away from you in an instant. Right. And so there's a bit of, it's like a combo platter of like, oh, that whole thing is not happening. Like someone else just changed your plan without you making the decision. Right, right. And that that's kind of frustrating. Then there's also a feeling of like, they didn't pick me, you know, like they don't think I'm special. They don't like me or they think that person's more special. I do think over time of doing this so long, I've gotten better maybe at like, separating that stuff from the work and also realizing like, I, I, I don't think I'm, I'm, I'm as, as attached to or enamored with the, the results of the thing. I'm able to look at the work of it and then go, okay, I'm going to go in there. I'm basically going to go, here's the rough sketch of what you're going to get if you pick Matt Del Negro. This is my take on the role right now. Hopefully it's going to get more refined if I get the gig and we're, you know, months down the road with it. But this is the rough gig, the, the rough sketch of where I am right now. And then if I don't get it, I, 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 I am more able these days to go, wasn't meant to be. You put it in. That didn't happen. It's not all a loss, you know, take whatever work you did and you can put it into the next one. But, but when I was younger and still a little bit to these days, this day, when you would go closer and closer to something and you'd go back, you get called back and called back and called back. When you don't get it, there's no freaking consolation prize for an actor. Right. You, it, nobody cares if you're like, I was the runner up. 
I almost got that role, but so-and-so got it. And now you know him because he's a star. I was this close to that role. Nobody cares. It's done. You're back to square one. And there's something about that that's very debilitating and depleting yeah. of your energy. You just like, you know, you can't wallow in it, but you do kind of, I actually have come to, to believe that it's, it's also good to let it hit you a little bit, not to just be like, oh, I'm cool, man. I'm cool. I'm going on. Like there's actually some use in letting it hit you and feeling like just, it's, 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 a, it's like, there's a sadness to it. There's a, there's like a, you know, it's as long as you just don't wallow in it and you get up, you know, you, 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 you take your medicine you feel the pain, process it, and then you got to move on. You can't yeah. keep thinking about it. It's, it's so good. Um, I don't know what you think about this. I, I think a lot of, especially folks that are in the professional services world, right? Like you are, they are hiring Matt. They're hiring Sharon. It's not, they're not, they're not buying my mouse, right? Like they're, they're, yeah. they're, and th I think that's when you sell product, you can actually somewhat separate yourself from, well, they didn't buy my iPhone. So it's okay. I just have to change the marketing of how I position this iPhone. But when, like you said, when you go in and you are called in multiple sales calls, if they're selling a service or they're auditioning you to be an insurance broker, a real estate agent, a coach, a consultant, whatever, you're in three, and then you don't get it. There is no points for second place. And then they're like, oh, they didn't pick me personally on yeah. this, right? Um, I remember my coach said this, and I'd love your feedback on this. It's actually worked. Maybe she said this for me, and it was my personality. And when I was a banker at Goldman, we used to do a, a lot of pitches. And I would pitch, and it was always multiple rounds uh, of pitching. And like you would, you would prepare and all those pitches, you would prepare a lot for you put resources in, you would fly to random places, you would stay over, like it was crazy. And then you may not get anything for it. And so I remember my coach telling me that she's like, Sharon, you are welcome to feel sorry for yourself. You're welcome to wallow in the pain. But when it's done, when you get the rejection, she says, before you start to wallow, you get to choose and make one choice. And that choice is how long is it going to happen? So give yourself, she's like, you have until next Wednesday, fine, done, have at it. Be as sad, be as mopey, be as, cry as much as you want, be the, you know, be the biggest whiner, but come Wednesday, you are back in the saddle and that's all you got. Yeah. And dude, like that for me, like I, when I gave myself a time for, I gave myself permission and space to say, yeah, I'm allowed to do this. And then Wednesday morning came up, I'm up and I'm running. Just to me, like that shift helped me a lot. I don't know if you've ever used something like that. Yeah. I mean, what's funny about that is like, it's, it's actually reality is what brings you back to the work because I go, I'm the breadwinner. If I'm not winning bread, I don't have bread to eat. So, <laughs> so, so I can wallow on the sidewalk in the fetal position for Ever, if I want to, I can choose to do that, but then I'm not going to eat. So at a certain point, I always have that moment where I'm like, you know, there, there are those moments sometimes where you're just like, you're frozen, you're, you're, you're just depleted. I guess it's about the debilitated, you know, depleted. And then you just get up. I, I, you know, look in the mirror or whatever it is. I'll do like, I'll be like, motherfuckers. Yeah. Like I just get fired up and I go like, you are not going to fucking stop me. Yeah. Like, like, no, I, it, I don't know. There's something it's like, I let my, but I let myself have a little period of, you know, it's okay. It's okay. You don't, it doesn't all have to be, hard guy. I mean, that, that's something somebody asked me recently. Um, they were like, Oh, so you were division one athlete. How has that helped you with acting? And I was like, well, it's a double-edged sword. I said, I think a lot of the reason I'm still in the game is because all of the lessons I learned as an athlete, which is all of that, like, you know, get back in the game, suck it up, put the, put the, the hurt aside and accomplish the mission, all of that. And that's very, very valuable. As an actor though, 
you also have to have like the artist side of you has to actually be able to feel. And a lot of the athletic stuff was about not feeling. It was about put it aside, buck up, move on. This is the mission, which ultimately has really, really served me. Um, but the acting's going to suffer if you don't also do the side that's like, you've got to go to the soft parts of yourself. You've got to go to the quiet parts of, the, of yourself, the scared parts of yourself, the, 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 the lost parts of yourself. If you don't, any character you play is going to be really fucking boring. Yeah. You know, because all of us have that in us. So I've had to unlearn some of that while still using it as a shield and a weapon and a strategy to keep me in the game, I have to, I don't know, compartmentalize it because sometimes I got to go be soft and messy and, you know, delve into stuff. That's not so, that's not so pleasant. Dude, you know? I, that, so I, I've hung out with you. That was probably that was awesome. Like that, that's an insane insight. You know, I, I play college tennis. I get it. I, I tried to play on the pro tour. I always felt like I was always trying to figure out the athletic side, like what it brought to my life. And I, I'm, I was not a Roger Federer or anything, but when you, when you play more than peewee soccer, like you, you're, you're in it for a little bit. Right. And, but I think you, you nailed it. You nailed the there has to be that little bit of a mix. There has to be that blend the, and the ability not only to compartmentalize it, but I think, I think compartmentalize is a good thing, but I think you, just how you shared that, I think you found a way to integrate those. To integrate. Yeah. That would be a better way to put it. Right. But, but, and I think that that's even, that's insanely powerful like that. Uh, and so let me ask you, maybe that, that begs the question. I and mean, you write about this in the book too, which is like, what are your thoughts around kind of the whole, uh, nature versus nurture thoughts around this stuff? Um, I, I think I say this in the book. Like I, I, I don't think that I, by nature, I'm not sure that I'm like, I certainly as an athlete was not the most talented guy uh, as an athlete. I had a certain amount of talent, but I, I wasn't, I know I have a lot of people that I know that were just, just better athletes. Um, as an actor, I feel like I had maybe more natural talent than I did as an athlete, but I still feel like there are other people more naturally talented. Um, I do feel there's a something maybe it's hard to tell if it's DNA or, or just being modeling it from my parents or, or, or taught it from such a young age that I think it's DNA and it's actually, it's actually nurture, not nature. But I do think there's something that I have that I've always had that's like the, an attitude uh, of I'm, I'm able to chip away at something um, to, to prolong the gratification of something. Uh, I, I like doing that. Like I, I like having my eye on something that I'm striving toward. Um, you know, I mean, even going back, you can laugh at it, but like even going back to girls, like I was talking about Vicky Bakshi or before that there was Libby Casanelli, you know, they're always like, you could go back and see all these, these, you know, always like, Oh, I'm, I'm always like, I always felt like I was like trying to, you know, like, Oh, that's the person that I'm kind of going toward or, or, or as in my career, it's like, this is what I strive for this. Um, that's just, I think some of that is, is in my nature. And yet I have also done a ton of training, reading. Um, I'm just kind of obsessed with that too. I'm, I'm, I think the podcast is that I think, and long before the podcast, the reason I even did that podcast is because I realized I've been having conversations like this my whole life. I always, I always kind of, have enjoyed, you know, picking people's brains. How do you, how do you do this? How do you look at it? What do you do? How do you, uh, like, why are you so good at what you do? Um, uh, what makes you tick? 
And, and really that's exactly what I do with my character, my characters too. It's the same exact muscle, really. Um, the same thing that I do with podcasts is what I do with characters. Yeah. You're basically looking at a script, looking at the circumstances of their world, and then asking questions like, well, why my character right now? Why did Chris Kaysen become a cop? What is it that he wanted to do? What did he, you know, how does he feel? What's his, his view toward money? What's his view? How did his parents raise him? You know, all of these things that become the person that you end up playing. And those are the same questions you'd ask in a podcast, you know? Yeah. Well, well, look, talking about character development, one of my favorite shows um, is The West Wing. And uh, you and I have talked about it briefly. And you have you have some, like, that was, that was, you know, developmentally in your career, that was an interesting time for you, right? Like, and you talk about how, especially in the book, you talk about how a lot of, like, there's a bunch of West Wing stories in there. Um, when you think about the West Wing and your time kind of getting there, doing the work, what are the one or two things that kind of bubble to the surface when you think about the West Wing and your time there? Um, well, it's funny. That character, Bram, that I played, um, there wasn't a ton of meat on the bones in terms of like, you know, going home with Bram. It was all about his job, him functioning in his, in his job. Um, what I, what I take away, you know, the first thing that popped into my head when you just said that was uh, John Spencer, who um, played Leo McGarry. And he, he passed away, unfortunately, while we were shooting uh, that last season. And I was with him two days before he died. I was working with him. Uh, I think it was two days before. And he was this guy that, like, he just freaking loved acting. And he loved actors. And he, he would say, I love actors, even the ones I hate, <laughs> just, just for taking the journey. And, and he was so excited. I think I tell that story in the book of like how we were doing this like interstitial scene. It wasn't really, it was kind of just getting us from one place to another. It was this little thing. I come in and I'm and, and with him briefly and, and he was just like watching him prepare for the scene and the, the detail that he put into it and the excitement like a kid on Christmas morning that he had about this scene and the nuances of, of what was happening in the scene. And this is a guy who's in his seventh season. He's won Emmys for it. He's like, but he's just in it for the love of the game. And that, that, there are so many things to say about the West Wing, but, but, but John Spencer's one of those, like I, I learned a lot from watching him, from being around Jimmy Smits, um, from being around Brad Whitford. Um, these are great actors that I, I got to just learn through osmosis being with them, you know, uh, same thing on Sopranos. It was like, you know, Gandolfini and Edie Falco. Like, are you kidding me? Just like, you just learn a lot of lessons by, by working with them and, and, and working through problems with them in the scenes and watching them, how, how they handle themselves. You know, the, um, the one thing, um, the one thing I, you know, when, when your book came out, the one thing, the first thing that hit my, hit me, Matt was a lot of people. I've talked to a lot of people who've, you know, written a book, which is, which is a good body of work, right? You have to stop. And I, I think you have a, an insane appreciation for authors right now who have to stop, organize their thoughts. And I think I love speaking with uh, both just, you know, on the air and off the air in relationships. I love speaking with people that have bodies of work, have, like a podcast, like a book. And, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean that in a very positive way, meaning you're forced to put to deeply think about and, and, and reflect on and inspect your ideas and then put them in containers so that they can easily be transferred. That knowledge can be transferred, right? Like that's a super powerful thing. And, and it, it blows my mind sometimes that, you know, we will say like, we won't pick up a $20 book. And I'm like, you have any idea how much like, that went in even the, even the crappiest $20 book is insanely valuable. Right. Yeah. Because someone has put that time, but, but here's the one thing that is different about you. Most people would 
spend their time and experiences writing the book and then on then spend the 10,000 hours sharing the story, promoting the book, make, getting the message out. But I think you've earned those stripes beforehand. Like you did the 10,000 hours prior. Yeah. Which is insane, man. Like you literally wrote the book on the backs of this podcast and everybody should go, you know, listen to 10,000 no's. And, and, but most importantly, like I, after you and I uh, went, when I came on your show, I went before my, my favorite thing when I go on podcasts is like, I like to do two things. And if, hopefully this is a lesson for a lot of people that come on podcast. My first thing that I do is it's, I think it's a, it's valuable. It's the only right thing to do for the host to do a little research, right? To know their voice. So I always go listen to their first episode. And then I go listen to the most recent episode. And then I, I have this real cool spectrum. That's just my process. I do it every single time. That's really smart. Right. And, and and to me, when I showed up to spend the day with you, I was like, and you told me, Hey, I remember when I hit submit and sent this episode off to somebody in the UK that put it together. I, I knew exactly because I had listened to that episode. I knew exactly who you were. And I was like, I can't wait for this interview. And so what I want to sh- like really explain to people is that sometimes the 10,000 hours comes before and sometimes the 10,000 hours comes after, but it's got to come at some point. Yeah. <laughs> it, just, yeah, yeah. it just has to come at some well, point. Well, that's so, what's so, been, yeah. it's interesting you say that because I feel like I'm in this spot in the last couple of years where probably the thing I'm most proud of is... 10,000 knows like what it is to me philosophically is it's kind of incredible. This was my shame. I mean, like, you know, if I could explain that to you, I moved out to LA, you know, for West Wing, you know, 2005 that was, but like people think like, Oh, you you did West Wing. So that was, you know, great. Well, yeah, I did. I did West Wing. I did another show right when I went out to LA. So I had like my first, I don't know, eight or nine months in LA. I was like, Oh my God, it's incredible here. Like I just work all, I was working there. I was working in Toronto. I was like, it's amazing. Well, West Wing came to an end. The other show came to an end. I was unemployed for seven months, seven months. So everybody just went through COVID and they, they can appreciate that. COVID is not, you know, this, this whole quarantine and unemployment is not new to me. This has been my existence. I don't think people realize that. So when I would go back, I'd come back East for like, you know, uh, weddings or something like that. And, you know, your relatives are there and they know you're an actor, but you just did plays or maybe they saw you in a commercial. Ah, how's the acting thing going? And you're like, oh, oh, I saw you on site. Are you still doing that? No, 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 no. And you just get like, it was like, if you oh, were wow. working, it was great because you had something to talk about. If you weren't working, it was shame because everybody else has jobs. And you're like, you're just you feel like a loser. Like you don't have any, you have nothing. And it was a, it was a shame. Those 10,000 no's were shameful until I luckily created this thing where I was like, no, 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 I'm not going to hide all this shit. I'm going to put it front and center, right in front of you, baby. Yeah. Motherfuckers. 10,000 no's. That's a badge of honor. Fuck you. Cause I withstood them and I'm still withstanding them. And, and there's been something philosophically, sorry, am I allowed to swear? Go for it, man. Yeah. You know, there's something philosophically about putting it out in the light, pulling it out in the light and being like, yep, there it is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm a loser. Yep. I am. I am a failure. Yep. I am. I'm a lot of different things. And that is one. Those are two of the things that I am at points. I yeah. fail all the time. But it, it was like there was a lack of shame in it that has transformed my life because all of a sudden there's like a there's like a, a different relationship to the failures. There's a, actually a gratitude for it yeah. because because those failures are also one they're not really failures. I put failure in quote in quotes. It, it, those failures are actually miles on the road. That's all it is. It's like. I did my time, baby. You could say whatever you want. 
I don't give a fuck anymore because I've done my time. I have been pummeled repeatedly over and over and over again. And, and, I'm, and I'm still standing. And, yeah. and sometimes I'm good. Sometimes I'm not so good. I'm always striving. You know, I'm never as good as I want to be, but I'm always like trying to get better. And it's like, it's a little bit more, maybe there's something of like acceptance in all of this 10,000 knows, whether it's the podcast or it's the book, it's kind of like, yeah, for better or for worse, this is who I am. You know, like I, I, I you know, it, it, it's, that's what it is. It's complicated, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, the, uh, it's been, I, I'm so proud of you for putting in all this work, creating this body of work, and then sharing sharing what no one wants to, no one really wants to talk about, which is what we see today is the highlight reel of life, and you peel that back. So for those that are listening, listen, it's uh, very, very easy, 10,000knows.com. Grab the book. I think grabbing it for a friend who's going through a time like this could be a great grift at this time as well. And follow my follow Matt on Instagram too. He put some really great stuff at Matty Dell. Uh, Matt, so proud of you, man. Thank you so much for being on. And uh, yeah, I, I can't wait to do part two, three, and four of this again. Sharon, you're a uh, you're an incredible human being. You're very you're so generous, so encouraging, so smart and capable. And you uh, you make me. Uh, you make everybody, not just me, you make everybody around you feel better. So thank you. Thank you for even having me on. And, and thanks to the listeners. I'm sorry, I got a little fired up at the end there, but <laughs> that's what happens sometimes. Hey, Sharon, I have a cool gift for you. I took some of my best ideas from the last 20 years and created a five-day MBA. It's quick and action-packed that you can listen to on the go, just like this podcast. And I want to give it to you for free, just as a thank you for listening to the show. No fluff, no gimmicks, just pure actionable ideas for you to use instantly. You can grab it right now at businessschoolshow.com. That's businessschoolshow.com. Dot com.